into the book of Matthew, our series, studying through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, under the title of Not of This World. That's the overarching theme of the series through Matthew, Not of This World, endeavoring to understand practically the heart of so much of what has already been said this morning. The songs that we've sung, the words that have been spoken, the faithful prayers that have been spoken. Um, We're endeavoring to now understand, in light of the kingdom of God, in light of Jesus Christ having come to earth, establishing his kingdom of which we are now a part, what does this life look like? How do we live? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, please. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I just realized I read that wrong. Let me read it again. You might not have caught it. Hopefully you didn't. Judge not that you... I was going to do it again. Judge not... (laughs) That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Father, today, thank you for your word, which is light and life. Lord, this morning, we receive what you have for us with assurance of faith, knowing that you will not only reveal what you desire, but also apply it to our hearts by your spirit. Father, we pray for your glory through this church to be made manifest in greater ways. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would compel us to live as those who have been called to a new life. Father, again, may it be for your glory. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. To judge or not to judge, that is the question. As someone similarly once said. Ironically, I was thinking about it this week. In a present-day culture that touts and demands tolerance for all forms of thinking and living, right, promotes subjective moralism, and decries judgments of all fashions, I found myself being called upon by this very same culture to stand in a place of judgment on my fellow man and enjoy my civic duty of jury duty. I was sitting in jury duty at the beginning of this week, And I had plenty of time to kill. And so I opened up my Bible on my uh, tablet that I had brought with me, and I started to look at the text. And I went, wow, this is rather ironic. Judge not, lest you be judged. So here we are this morning. The mass exodus that has taken place over the last 50-plus years as a culture, who at large once acknowledged some form, a person perhaps, or some form of higher authority, than themselves, and we now have arrived to today's culture, which is an absolute rejection. It's a culture of autonomy, where the individual has become all at once the judge, the jury, and the executioner. 
That is what we find today in this culture of autonomy. I believe that in light of this, it leads us to the perfect place today as Christians to study and understand Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. A culture that absolutely reviles any form of judgment whatsoever. Refuses to listen even to a conversation where it might seemingly be so. And here we stand today called to face error with truth. How will we navigate such a difficult situation as Christians? But of course we know that as Christians it's not hard for us to identify the error in that thinking. See, autonomy says that identity is formed through personal experience and self-determination. That's what autonomy says. That truth is understood in light of self-realized intellectual assent. And that life is then lived as a journey of self-actualization. What is in that common thread within those statements? Self, self, self. It's seeking your own personal height of identity, understanding, and living, where we know that the Bible says that the life of the Christian is formed by who God says we are. That we are created by his breath, by his power, and in his image we are, and in his likeness we are. That we're his treasured creation. And as such, to save us from a life of death because of the result of sin, to secure for himself a people, he ransomed us with the life of Jesus Christ. None of this is self. None of this is something that we've done. It all is an act of the Lord Jesus Christ. So where culture claims autonomy and self, 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 our faith, our Christianity says, no, it's otherly. It's someone else. Namely, of course, it's God whom has done all of this graciously and mercifully rescued us. So we seek a God-revealed life, a God-revealed identity of self, a God-revealed and God-revealing understanding of truth. That is the life of a Christian. So in a modern-day culture which demands tolerance, equality, subjectivity, equity, it's not hard to then see how the place for a biblically defined employment of judgment would be at the very least misconstrued. And as we know, of course, it's often reviled. So let me just speak for a quick moment on how it's been misconstrued. Given what I've just said, at the very least, at the very least, judgment of all forms is being rejected and almost altogether disallowed. Think about that for a moment talking about culture. We're talking about how we just interface as a people, as culture, what is valued. It's almost altogether this idea of judgment, which we're going to look at and understand here, hopefully further in a biblical sense. But judgment in and of itself is deemed as so negative, as so condemning, that it's absolutely disallowed in pretty much every context that we come into. Especially in matters of cultural expression which, ironically, culture calls social justice. It's not just whatsoever. But it forbids any form of disagreement, citing bigotry, intolerance, 
and engaging in unjust judgment against another. So no opposing position can be posited or pointed out without cries of injustice filling the airwaves of social media and the newspaper and the media and what other form of information dissemination we engage in. Think about it for a moment. We run into this every single solitary day. This is, this is the state in which we live today. And how often, too, have we heard the very same culture turn Matthew 7 back on the Christian? Don't judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. I found this. It's, it's like a five-second video. It's very funny. Turn, turn up the audio because it's great. No, this is great. Oh, nope. Ah, doggone it. Okay, it was funny. It doesn't matter. Um, no, it doesn't matter. It was a video, and, it's, and, and I was doing some reading, and, you know, I, you rabbit trail, and I stumbled across this video, and it was um, our former Mr. President who was talking, who he says, the good old book says, uh, I love it, I he think, starts uh, it by, oh. Yeah, good book says, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't throw stones in glass houses, or make sure we're looking at the log in our eye before... We're pointing out the moat in other folks' eyes. And, and I think that's, yeah, that's as true in politics as it is in life. The good book says, don't throw stones in glass houses. Does the good book say that? I just thought that was funny. Thought we'd get a kick out of that this morning. Um, but yeah, that's, but we, we hear that. That's a, that's a position that's, that's put forth, right? Where uh, culture, in an attempt to turn Scripture around on the church, Actually, he doesn't quote scripture, but in some of it he did. Um, so how often we hear, judge not, lest you be judged. Um, and then within the church, within Christendom, within walls of the faith, we too have an aversion oftentimes to this idea of being judged. Don't judge me. Hey, man, you shouldn't yell at your wife. Don't judge me. Hey, man, you shouldn't slap your kid around like that. Quit judging me. But the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, in the scripture here within Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, is Jesus actually saying, do not judge? Or is he perhaps warning us or instructing us against judging wrongly? And actually the question is rather simple because within that text it answers it by saying at the end in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take out the log in your eye and then what? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it is not a statement against judgment in and of itself, but it is a statement against judging it wrongly. What's wrong? Oh, is, is Barack still up there? Okay, here we go. Is that better? Okay. Well, never forget, Shannon. Never forget. So then it isn't if, but it is how we as Christians must judge. In Matthew 7, Jesus provides for us the way in which it is acceptable for us to judge. And he uses three forms of judgment that I want to look at this morning to begin with. The first is a judgment, a form of judgment. It's a judgment that is discerning and wise. Matthew 7, look at Matthew 7, but just a little bit further down. We have not gotten there just yet, but we will. In Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, he says, "'Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing.'" But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by your fruits. 
beware of false prophets. How are we to be aware of false prophets lest we judge the fruit of their life and the words from their mouth? So Christians are called to judge within the church. We're instructed to judge rightly between truth and error, between those who would speak falsely and lead us or others astray. This sort of judgment requires wisdom and knowledge of the truth first and foremost. This is key. This isn't an opinion of judgment in the sense of it's not based on what we determine to be truth in the sense of self-revealed, but it is God-revealed truth to our hearts through Scripture by which it becomes a plumb line that we apply through wisdom and discernment. So we're called to judge in that way. So one form of judgment is a judgment that is discerning and that is wise. The second form is this. It's a discernment. It's a judgment that is humble and gentle. This is found in that text in verses 3 through 5. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus asserts here that before we can judge anyone, we must first judge ourselves. We must first judge ourselves. We must look within ourselves before we lay upon someone that which is incorrect. A friend of mine had this phrase within their family, and they would say it to each other, you need a de-plank. So when someone would come and make an accusation to get him, they would say, you need a de-plank right now. You need a de-plank before you start trying to de-plank me. See, hypocrisy comes when we fail to apply the same standards to ourselves that we apply to other people. And it begins by recognizing, first and foremost, that we're not any better than the next person. Whether we're talking about someone within the church or someone outside, we all were fallen. We all, at one point in our life, were a fallen creature. We were objects of wrath. We were those condemned under the judgment of the Lord God, needing a Savior and given grace and mercy and received that which we didn't deserve. We all, each one of us here today, have received that grace and mercy if you're in Christ Jesus. Therefore, having this position necessitates that we have humility. Understanding this position creates humility in the hearts and minds of a believer. We were objects of God's wrath. Judgment that is humble begins with a glorious view of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, extended to us, given to us undeservingly. In addition, 2 Timothy 25 speaks of the judgment that is gentle, 2 Timothy 2.25, speaks of judgment that is gentle towards others, that God would lead them towards repentance and the knowledge of truth. So humility, having first judged ourselves with a sense of humility and understood that we too were objects of wrath at one point in our life. So having this humble perspective, we then with gentleness judge those whom the Lord has perhaps placed in front of us or alongside of us or within a situation by which we have been called to employ judgment. And we're going to look at that here, and I apologize, I'm 
moving quickly, and I hope I'm not moving too fast, but I want to get to the, uh, the main point, which is towards the end of this. But I also want to lay the groundwork because I feel like this is important and it's leading to something here. So the third that's already up there at this moment, the third form of judgment which is revealed to us in Scripture is one that is restorative and forgiving in nature. So forms of judgment that we are called to employ is a judgment that's discerning. It's a judgment that is humble and it's a judgment that is restorative. The ultimate goal of Matthew 7 in verse 5 is the speck in the eye of the brother. The principle of humility within judgment is necessary, but it is not in and of itself the aim. What is the aim? It's the brother. The brother is the aim. The well-being of the brother is the aim. The restoration of that individual in that circumstance to right position or to right thinking or to right health is the aim that Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 7. Brother here in the Greek is used in speaking of a fellow disciple, but it can also be used to speak of any fellow man. And he then warns us in the beginning, unacceptable form of judgment is this, it is that which is condemning. It's this form of judgment that does not employ any of the previous three. It is not discerning, it is not humble, and it is not restorative in its nature. And this is what Jesus is warning against. So when it says, judge not lest you be judged, what Jesus is talking about is a judgment that is condemning. It's a judgment that sentences someone based off of the fault finding that you have engaged within. It is not humble, it is not gentle. It's divisive. And he says in verse 2, for the pronouncement, for the judgment you pronounce, in other words, the way in which you judge is what Jesus is saying. The way in which you judge, the way, is it condemning or is it discerning? Or is it humble? Or are you focused on the well-being of the situation or the person by which you're engaging within? Or is it condemning? The way in which you judged, you will in return be judged. See, this is the type of judgment that I spoke of in the beginning that culture decries. This is what I believe they think we employ. And I think that we, if we're honest, we do this. Which is why we have to understand what Jesus is saying here. We have to have some introspection in our own heart, and as, as I said a moment ago, it must begin with us. We have to judge our own hearts, our own motives, our own thinking, our own intentions. Because are we being condemning? Are we leveraging judgments upon someone or something based off of a self-righteous perspective? Or is our aim the love of God being displayed to those, to someone or someones? Is it the passion for truth with a sense of humility because God has revealed it to us that we, in turn, give it to others? 
So Jesus is warning us against a judgment here in Matthew 7 that is condemning. I think it's very important for us to also remember and to begin with the fact that our rightful position as creatures before the Creator is such that He is first and foremost alone the judge of the hearts and minds of men and women. It is not us, but it is Him that judges. Psalms 98.9 says this, He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Oh, look at that. That's what happens when you condemn. I forgot I threw that in there as a little freebie. My keynotes are spicy. I totally forgot about that until Shannon was laughing. This is what happens when you're doing keynotes late at night. Barack Obama finds his way in and I start lighting words on fire. <laughs> oh, hopefully it doesn't detract from what I'm about to say. Psalm 98.9. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Praise God. I was reading Psalm 98.9 this week as I was looking at this verse. Psalm 98.9 is filled with joy and thankfulness. And this is how it ends. I will praise the Lord. I will declare his name. This is a statement of hope. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Jesus Christ today and you are so tired of hearing the things that we hear coming from culture, if we are tired of feeling as though this world is unjust or desiring to see true justice take place, this is our hope as Christians. For Jesus, through Jesus Christ, peace has been made. God will judge the world in a just manner. 1 Corinthians 5, this is Paul speaking, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. Paul says, for what do I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not inside the church whom you are to judge? For God judges those outside. So we're not to pass moral judgment in a condemning manner on those outside of Christ. For that is God's place, and that's God's place alone. He who knows the inclination of all hearts and the hidden things of man and judges with both mercy and justice. Paul will say before that in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. Therefore, Romans 2.1, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Our hearts are inclined towards the wrong form of judgment. Our flesh wants to see justice, justice that we perceive to be true. But what God is saying here, first and foremost, is that A, don't forget, O wretched man that you once were, do not forget that I alone am the judge, that I alone will judge with perfect and true justice and perfect righteousness and perfect mercy. Therefore, it is God and God alone. He is the executive, the judicial, and the legislative branch of government all in one. Isn't he? Let me just say two things about the importance of Matthew 7. And where I want to land this morning is 
we see that it is right by Scripture for Christians to engage and employ judgment. And the right way, again, is one that is done with discernment, one that is done in humility, and one whose aim is restoration. Not condemnation. But then I want to look at and, I, and land today with when are we called to judge? Not just how, but when is it right and what does Scripture speak to us in regards to judgment? But before I say that, I want to just say two things. There's an importance, I believe, in the heart and mind of Jesus for bringing this up again. We're trying to understand the new creation of Jesus Christ, the new community of believers. And so we're looking at the context of Matthew, and Jesus is speaking to those disciples whom he's called. And he's telling them, hey, listen, this is the new way of living. I've called you into this kingdom, which is my kingdom, which is not the same of this earth. And again, we go back to our definition that we started with in the beginning. What is the kingdom of God? It's the king's rule over the king's people in the king's place, including his presence and his precepts or his law. So he's saying, this is what it looks like now to be my disciple. This is what it looks like now to be a part of the new creation of Jesus Christ. So keeping that in mind, what is Jesus endeavoring to do? What is the importance here of Matthew 7 beyond just instruction for personal living? I believe the first is that it's for the preservation of the community of God. Jesus is is still dealing with how we ought to perceive and to think as new creations. And at the time of Jesus, too, think about it. He was dealing with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he speaks about that later in in Matthew 23. He says that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger So he's speaking out against those who would teach the law but fail themselves to uphold it rightly. And all the while casting judgment on those whom they instruct and on those whom would not carry it out or would carry it out. So this is Jesus is speaking to this new community. And he is absolutely concerned with the preservation of the unity in in the new community of God. See, in our context too, Judgment is necessary within the faith community as a means by which we not only hold one another accountable, but spur one another on towards righteous acts and righteous living. So it has a place and it has an importance. As much as we want to shirk it off because perhaps we've experienced it wrongly or perhaps we have a problem with authority or for whatever the reason is that we don't want to subject ourselves to someone else's input, or opinion, the reality is, is that it's necessary for the sake of the unity of the community of believers and for the preservation of the purity of it to an outside world. And the second is that it's necessary for the preservation of the purity of the gospel and, more importantly, the souls of man. And this is the aim. Again, just as the aim of restoration was present in the form of which we are called to judge, so too are the souls of those who have not yet come to Christ. So too are those souls 
an object and an importance for understanding this. Matthew addresses this in verse 5 when he first says that the integrity of the witness is that it is not hypocritical and it is not self-righteous. And then he turns it in verse 6 and it's the aim is the souls of those who would hear and respond to the gospel. Verse 6 seemed to be, I struggled with it at the beginning of the week as I was looking at this text, trying to find how the, the kind of the synergy between 1 through 5 and 6 because it just felt like you know 6 was dropped in there. But when we understand it through the fact that that verses 1 through 5 is preparatory for what he is about to say. Verses 1 through 5 are necessary to understand as believers so that as we share the gospel and as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, it's done so with a humility and it's done so with wisdom. And it's done so, as he says, not casting before pigs, pearls. And I'm jumping ahead just slightly. So the importance of Matthew is that it's for the preservation of the community of God and the preservation of the purity of the gospel and for the souls of unbelieving. Are you guys doing okay? Is this all right, huh? All right. So let me give you what I believe just um, to land with this today. When is judgment required on our part? When are we commanded to, instructed to, employ judgment so we've seen thus far that Matthew 7 doesn't command us to remain silent in all matters and yet remembering that it's first and foremost God who judges the hearts of men however as Christians we are called to employ judgment again not one that condemns but one that is discerning and wise one that is humble and one that its aim is restoration So what then are the circumstances that we as Christians are called to engage in judgment in this way? The first is this. In matters regarding truth and error, judgment is necessary when discerning truth from error, especially within the church. Outside of the church, error is often more overt, isn't it? A lot of times it's it's easy to pick up on. It's like, well, that's crazy, (laughs) right? I mean, just whatever, you know read social media or or the news and you're like that's ridiculous that's not true that's an easy form of employing some judgment on our part right however unfortunately within the church error can be often more insidious and subversive it can be harder to identify it requires a discerning ear and mind and it necessitates an understanding of the truth of the truth of Scripture, which is another importance of the community of God. Scripture is revealed to our hearts is only as much as the Lord allows us to see. However, when experienced and worked through and discussed and wrestled with in community, we hold our opinions and we hold our revelation loosely within our hands. But it doesn't diminish what we have received it only enhances it by understanding, oh yeah, boy, let's, let's talk about what I've learned to believe in this. What do you understand this to say? And what do you understand this to say? And how does that affect my thinking? But it must nonetheless begin with this. It must begin with what God has revealed as truth through his written word and imparted into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. 
And I would say that unfortunately, I believe that what we're seeing today, even though error is often overt outside of the church, within the church itself, because error can be subversive and culture is being what it is, I believe that unfortunately what we're seeing is more and more and more error that's coming into the church itself. Therefore, requiring an even greater degree of discernment, an even greater degree of judgment, an even greater degree of understanding of the truth that the Lord Jesus has given to us. There's nuanced matters that are being taken up by both culture and the church. And I believe that the spirit of this age is winning this battle in varying degrees on various subjects within the church. Believe it or not, wouldn't that crazy to think that we would stand here and say that culture is adopting, or that the church is adopting ideologies of culture? Is that not crazy that that has been allowed into? It's because of the failure to teach the word of God in its full revealed self. Oh, there's so much to be said about that in very little time. Do we have the faculties necessary to hear and identify as Thessalonians, as Paul tells the Thessalonians, and to warn him as a brother? Do we have that as believers? Do we have that as a community? To identify and to hear and to therefore warn those within and those outside. So between truth and error, we are called to employ judgment Another time, the second, is when a brother is in sin. And we looked at this in the sense of we looked at, at Matthew 15 at that portion. But, but let's, um, well, let me just say this. Let, turn with me actually to, to Matthew 18. We know this portion of text well. He says this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Well, wait a minute. That's not fair. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Go and tell him his fault, for I tell you, excuse me, but go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the command here in Matthew 18 is to go with discernment and humility and to tell him his fault with the aim of restoring him, Right? The aim is not to condemn, but the aim is to see him or her turn from the error of their ways or their thinking. And of course, as we know, as it said, however, if they do not, then to take two others so that the charge may be established as evidence. But I believe that the point of this has to be the aim of restoration of the individual. We have been called to employ judgment as matters of sin with one another within the community. This is part of what we stood and committed to here this morning, is to be open with who we are, to submit ourselves to one another. That's what covenant is. It's a submitting to each other, not authoritatively, but out of preference and love and care. There's power in numbers, not just because we can do more damage, but because of the, the degree of grace that's for us within each other and within these church walls. 
Paul says to the Galatians, Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law, he says in Galatians 6.1. So we're called to judge, to employ judgment regarding truth and error. We're called when it's regarding sin of a brother. And this is really regarding verse 6. We are called to employ judgment in matters between the worthy and the dogs. The worthy and the dogs. And this is, again, a difficult portion of Scripture. But as I said, I believe that this was in preparation. One through five was in preparation for this statement of verse six. Without seeming contradictory to our appeal to the proclamation of the gospel, not being tempered and not being discriminate towards anyone, but instead done so without reservation. Verse 6 appears to admonish the proclaimer to employ judgment when it appears as though the hearts of the listeners are hardened toward the gospel message. It does not negate the imperative to speak the gospel message, but it warns of the continuance when faced with a persistent resistance. That's Matthew 6. Having wisdom in discernment, now, there's much that can probably be delved into regarding the symbolism of, of dogs and swine and this and that. But generally speaking, when we look at the, the trajectory of 1 through 6, verses 1 through 6 of Matthew chapter 7, we can see that what Jesus is laying out for us as the new creation is how we employ judgment, judgment that is done rightly, judgment that is done wrongly, and when we as believers must engage and for what purpose and that purpose has to always be the aim of the individual so when we go out of these walls and we go into our workplaces and whatever the environments are that we are within and we are faced with error and error and error and our hearts begin to become pricked and desensitized and jaded and cynical towards people groups or persons or individuals or whatever Wherever that vulnerability is in your own heart, remember these words. Not just judge not lest you be judged with the same measure out of fear, but let's do so with the aim of the love of God being revealed and the grace of God being revealed who we are. And I believe that when done rightly, truth is heard. Our desire to speak what is true will be received when the perception is that it's not condemnation but that we're coming having some sense of humility, some sense of care and gentleness. I believe that this is the type of people that the Lord Jesus has called us to be. And there are examples within Scripture, both in Acts and Matthew, of this imperative to speak, but the command to, to, uh, um, to be aware of a continuance in the face of adversity. If you want to write them down, you can look at Acts 13.46. Acts 18.6, and of course we know as Matthew, in Matthew when Jesus sends out the disciples and he instructs them in how to minister, found in Matthew 20, verses 14 through 15. It isn't just this, hey, just keep on going even though they hate you. I mean, it is in a sense, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, shake off the dust of your feet and move on. And Paul says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'll end with that and just say, may the Lord give us the, his grace.
to live a life in such a way where our visible witness of the testimony of Jesus Christ is not marred by our own human perception of something or someone's. Today, if you are not in Christ Jesus, if you've not put your faith in him, he stands as judge, as I said a moment ago. But through Jesus Christ, who has become our sacrifice, who has become and taken upon himself that judgment from the Lord God, there's peace with God through Jesus today that's for you. If you don't know him and you want to know him, or perhaps you struggle in your own heart with this condemning self-righteousness on others, and you've recognized it, or perhaps you are in Christ this morning, and you want prayer because there's some type of discrimination you feel towards something, and you know that you've lost your saltiness and your savoriness to a watching world in this area, then I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you if you want to receive the Lord today. We want to pray for you if you want to just receive gentle correction from the Lord Jesus Christ today. So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And then if you would like to receive prayer, I realize I've gone over. So I want to, we'll pray for you up here. If you want to receive prayer this morning, come forward. Um, if you don't, you can be excused to grab your kids. And we're going to go and enjoy lunch with each other out here in the community. But let me pray first. Lord God, I ask that you would take all of these words that have been said. And Lord, I pray that you would distill them to their essence of truth. And that, Father, you, that you would apply them by your spirit to our hearts. I pray, Father, today, if any of us are in error in our way of thinking towards someone or some situation, Lord God, perhaps it's towards a brother or sister that's here in this room. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would um, make that aware to our hearts today. And Father, I pray that you would apply this, this idea, Father, that we are first and foremost those who were in need of mercy. Let us be dispensers of such a mercy and grace, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would continue to sharpen this community to be a people who lives distinctly in this day and age. And Lord, so displaying your grace and mercy, your love, your power, your transcendency, your holiness, Lord God, I ask that this community would be a bright, shining beacon in the city of Sacramento. I pray, Father, that as we go as individuals, Lord, that you would keep these words, this truth that is from you, just at the forefront of our thinking, Lord. That wouldn't get lost as we go out from this building, Lord, throughout the day and throughout the week. But, Lord, that we would hold to some semblance of truth, Lord. And we ask that you would massage it into our hearts, Father. Change the way that we've thought wrongly and the way that we've acted from that incorrect thinking, Lord. And, Lord, we pray that your name, as we have sung today, would be glorified above all. Through this community, through our lives, through our families, Lord God, through the resources that we have, Lord Jesus, that your name would be glorified, that it would be lifted, Father, as the supreme name over all names the one, the true, the living God, the only just and righteous one, the only true one, Lord God. That is who you are. That is who we proclaim. Let our light shine brightly by your grace in your name. Amen.